This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing today? I'm great, Max. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And who do we have on the pod today? Well, it's Oliver Salen. Uh, he is, well, he's the head of business development sales at Trinkle. And uh, I think I, I, I met Oliver back in 2013, 14 or something like that, when he was trying to scale a wall at Forum Next to get his bicycle back. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and since then, uh, he's been working uh, really hard at uh, Trinkle. And Trinkle is a company that, well, actually, I think it's really interesting because Trinkle has kind of done a bunch of, a bunch of different pivots, right? First, it was like a software suite for, um, for uh, like like a kind of a service bureau to have a uh, for a service bureau to price applications and things like that. Then it went into more kind of more automation kind of software for more different types of platforms for somebody who's running like a internal service or something like that. Now it's more a mass customization tool. What they're doing, and some of the most exciting stuff, for example, is they do mass customization, not for like the consumer-oriented stuff, but for like the business side. Uh, so mass customization of jigs and fixtures and stuff like that, which you, people don't really realize, but it can be a gigantic market, of course. Um, so he's got a PhD in business and economics, and uh, uh, and he just takes care of all the, the the sales and the marketing, all the stuff at Trinkle. And I, I just think it's a fascinating story of Trinkle that, you know, that the company has just really pivoted a bunch of times and really seems to really get its stride right now. There's a recent investment, and and I really think it's a, it's a very exciting uh, company to to talk about. So welcome, Oliver. Thank you very much, Joris, and uh, thanks for the nice introduction. <laughs> I believe you summed it up pretty well. I think we're done with the podcast for today. Oh, great! Uh, we're <laughs> thanks, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, we can go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, thanks, yeah, yours. Uh, so yeah, yeah. thanks for for having me uh, in the in the show today. And um, yes, you, you're right. Uh, you described my um, position pretty well. You also gave a little bit of an outlook uh, of what Trinkle is, where we came from. I can maybe add some uh, details later uh, to this. Um, maybe a little bit about my background. Um, I studied uh, business in university in in Germany and Sweden, and after that, I um, I did my PhD in B two B marketing, a very strange thing to do to do a PhD in. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, it it worked out for me. And after that, I joined Trinkle exactly, I think, a couple of months before we actually met uh, in two thousand fourteen. It was uh, uh, uh. okay, okay, yeah, okay. So tell me first off, like I, I'm fascinated. But what is Trinkle right now? Because it's very different than what it used to be, right? So what is Trinkle at this moment? Yeah, yeah, you're you're completely right. There, there was some kind of pivot. Um, you, you're right. Most people probably, if people knew us in 2014, 15, 16, we were a service bureau. Uh, we did focus on software already back then, but it was more for um, job handling for print uh, print jobs for uh, print services. We had already the the idea of design automation in mind. But back then, to be honest, there were no uh, business cases for customization for, and for serial, um, serial applications in additive. That's why we started with this service bureau concept in the first place. And then we realized, oh, wait, well, um, this is kind of a commodity. Let's get out of there. 
Um, so we completely focused then on the design software side. And um, like you described it, it's about automation of design processes. So it's a, basically a CAD tool, but focused on customization aspects. So um, automation of design is really needed whenever um, you have repetitive design tasks, right? Um, it's not so much needed when you design one part for producing it million times, like in injection molding, for example. And it's totally fine to spend quite amount of time of manual CAD. But whenever it's about customization, about vari variations of design, then you want to get out of this manual design process and you want algorithms to take over. And this is what we do. And you're right, we are focusing today more on some industrial application, either in the area of medical, for example, that would be one of our focus industries, or in the field of jigs, fixtures, tooling, for instance. Also, like you said before, there is a high need for custom tools, custom production aids everywhere. It's not the first thing people think of when they hear customization, um, but it's the bigger industry for 3D printed custom tool, uh, custom products so far. So I can use this tool, but if I'm like, who, who would your customers be? Because this is also really interesting. If you would do this kind of parametric, parametric tooling, now, how do you see the market? You know, are you going to sell yourself to end users? Or are you going to sell yourself to industrial firms, uh, design mm -hmm. firms? And so, so what customers are you targeting then in, let's say, the tooling vertical? Yeah, basically, there are two paths for us. Um, it could be either the expert who is doing the design work right now, but this person is overwhelmed by rep repetitive design tasks, adaptations, for one and the same use case over and over again. So this happens, for example, in some tooling departments um, using additive in a, in a productive um, environment. For those guys, we, our tool can offer just automation. So it's all about efficiency, about speeding up. That would be the one path of using the software. Um, automating as much as possible reducing the manual effort you put into it. So speeding up the process. The other and probably more promising uh, path in the, in the future is enabling people that have no CAD experience so far. So not the expert for design, but maybe the expert for um, the question what makes a fixture a good fixture or how should a prosthetic look like or other cases where you don't have a CAD expert at hand but you still want to enable people to design custom parts and I think this is the more promising channel for us in the future because it will enable additive manufacturing to grow bigger, to grow out of the niche it is in today, where <laughs> there is a very small user group of experts. Yeah, they are all capable of doing design for additive. But to be honest, this, this group of people is way too small today to be a yeah, more... CAD professionals, is like a, a, you know, depending on how you count, it's like either a million to two million uh, person group, right? 
uh, right. depending on the, there's no real amazing exponents on this, by the way, but let's say it's 2 million people. That's a frighteningly small amount. And then we're talking about everyone can make anything. Well, yeah, any one of those 2 million people, right? The other 8 billion people on this planet, uh, you know, are, uh, you know, they can't. Yeah. So and then, I, I mean, should we be surprised that additive manufacturing is not such a big technology by now if we are dependent on this group of people starting the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, totally. It's too small. Yeah, and, and software been, has always been one of the biggest limiters as well and the ability to, to CAD or make something. Yeah, but when I got involved in this in 2008 and stuff, or even earlier when I was researching uh, 3D printing in 2004 and stuff, I was like, oh, I need to learn CAD. And then I decided, no, no, no. This is so when, the, the, uh, when it was like 2008, 2009, this revolution was building, let's say, or we were, we were kind of making it. Um, then I thought, oh, no, somebody's going to solve CAD. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna like be able to like just, like use my phone to shoot some pictures, and I'm you know, so and then still I'm waiting for. I never learned to, how to properly CAD. So and for me that's been a real detriment until I found a guy who does it for much cheaper per hour than 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 I am, uh, but but uh, and much better than I could ever do. But but you know, it's still with this limiting factor even for people in the business. And then there's a big difference between you know engineer stuff that can really harness the technology because they have this CAD knowledge. So I'd, anything that that you know raises that, that raises the abstraction level so that it becomes much easier is is, is i think a, a huge thing for for all of us so if we're talking about the this this the second application let's say uh well, well first let's talk about the first one like like is there a lot of cases about this automation this design automation kind of like, kind of rote work is that is there a lot of that happening in like in dental and medical where are we seeing that kind of stuff happen where, where people use it as like kind of like a, a daily business tool is it like you know hearing aids would be an obvious one teeth that kind of thing mm, yes exactly so when we look at existing serial applications there we we, we find those um, spots where more automation is needed it could be for example dental um, but also Think about the service bureau business, for example. Um, there are some manual tasks that are really, really annoying for the existing designers and engineers out there. For example, um, let's say you're a service bureau and you want to identify the parts in your print shop. And you, um, let's say you have always very similar parts in your in your batch let's say you you work for a service bureau um, dealing with dental components everything lo will look exactly the same so there's no way yet that you will identify it on your own um, which means you need to add some flags to it um, for each part for each um, dental crown or something like this this is something you really do not want to do manually you don't want to add flags over and over and over um, to each part this is something you want to automate. And um, it's the same if, if one of the use cases in Jigs and Fixtures gets more successful. At the beginning, the engineer, the AAM expert, might be happy that he finally found an application which has more than, I don't know, uh, 10, 10 parts per week. But later then he will realize, oh, wow, um, there are more and more internal customers approaching me, and for each of them, I have to do a little design trick. Um, this is maybe exciting in the beginning, but at some point, uh, it's really taking a crucial amount of the daily work time that he has to spend, and he has other things to do. So in these cases, you want to automate those things. They are repetitive. They are not exciting anymore. 
uh, you really want to get those off your desk. And if we look at the second example, like you know, empowering the non-AM user or not even non-CAD user, non-expert, uh, that of course, you know, it could be that could we could go to territory where we've never, uh, you know, we never have anticipated even. So I like that very much, and and I love the fixture builder thing you have, the fixture design thing, because fixtures is something. It's I've called it the gateway drug to to three D printing because so many companies have it's a safe space for them to kind of like experiment with three D printing and then get it off the ground. And so now you have this this, this fixture designer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and is that like a standalone product, or is that something you do you created with for the client, or how does that work? Yeah. So um, traditionally, we always had those client specific projects, but this you're completely right. It's the first time that we created a standalone product, a standalone application based on our system Paramate. So you have to imagine Paramate as the underlying system for all of the projects that we are working on. And this um, fixture tool that you mentioned is one application which we discovered in one of our projects with clients and then turned it into a standard application because we realized, hey, this is not specific to this one client or two or three clients, but basically every company that has production environment or assembly environments could make use of this. Like you said, it's like a easy easy entry drug for use of additive manufacturing and therefore we are quite happy that that we found such a sweet spot which we can now leverage and how does it work i mean how easy is it do i like, imagine like because usually with a fixture i have well i can have a tv the other guy can have a camera can have a different camera how does it actually work like imagine like we had like a i don't know we're making like a camera or an iphone or something how would i uh, go about as a guy on the floor shop floor getting a fixture made with this tool yeah uh, it's very good yours i think we are on the very same page um, towards our capacity or our experience in uh, cid i also have no idea about cid design but we both <laughs> we both could do it i promise you um, it would take us maybe 15 minute minutes to create a fixture for your mobile phone or something like this what would you have to do you would simply uh, upload the SDL file of the product that you want to have in such a fixture, that you want to position in the fixture. Um, you upload this part and then you choose a certain base plate geometry for it. And then you create a nest geometry. So basically you pull some support structures upwards towards your mobile phone. You mark the areas where it's supposed to touch the part. Yeah? So those contact areas um, are are marked by by your uh, by your choice in a quite simple um, visual user interface, and then it's extruded towards the part. And then um, in the final step, you will um, you will subtract the the workpiece from this nest geometry. Yeah, you will do a um, boolean subtraction. But it will also make sure that there are no undercuts. Uh, you can define a certain offset to handle production tolerances and so on. But the, the application will guide you through this process. It's really a step-by-step procedure. And yeah, to be honest, there's not really a lot of thing, yeah, not really much you can do wrong there. Um, whatever comes out is then printable in the FDM process, for example. So quite intuitive. Intuitive um, usage is the highest goal in in this situation. 
if I'm doing this, like, uh, and, and how long does it take? Like, is it a few minutes? Or is that what it would take me to do? Or how long yeah, would it take maybe, me to do about it? Maybe 15 minutes, I would say. And you should compare that. If, if you have an experienced industrial engineer, we hear from our clients that it would normally take one or two hours to design such a fixture in a traditional CAD. And do you see then that the fixture usage increases dramatically at your clients? Or do you have a feedback from clients that say like, hey, we used to make X? And Because the problem my clients have is that often the, the, the guy on the floor is like, for example, he's an automation engineer, maintenance guy or something like that. And then the engineer is somewhere else in another building. And then she has no spare capacity, right? Or she, she, she simply isn't, doesn't have the time to, to, to devote to this, or she doesn't understand what the, what, what the guy on the floor is doing. So this kind of disconnect and the non-availability in large parts of the company, these CAD people, is, is really like a detriment really often. So do you see then the, 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 the fixtures, for example, all of a sudden they used to make two per year and then now they make 100 or something like that? Or? Yes, it's accelerating uh, quite quickly. The more the problem that we face right now is that it's we are more fighting against the status quo that people would not even consider 3D printing as a way of making those fixtures. They would rather define the technical drawing of such a fixture and then give it out to an external supplier, and then they would somehow traditionally, conventionally produce those fixtures and come back six weeks after earliest. Yeah, um, exactly. so I, lo I love about this, I love this very much, is that we're now easier for, for the guy on the floor or the client, the ultimate client, it's easier than, than making it with another process. Because exactly. the other guys don't have this tool. You know what I mean? So, so we became from more difficult, more unknown, less trusted, to being the easiest way for him to get a fixture. Exactly. Well, no, that the speed is also I mean, manufacturing, right? Like you're manufacturing June, July so that you can get it out by August so that it can be in stores by September. We're talking about physical goods, consumer goods, excuse me. Then, you know, six weeks is a big impact if you, you know, yeah, no, you can no, 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 no. speed but up production uh, or prevent well, we a 2% like, error rate or something like that or 4% error rate. And yeah. Yeah, and imagine imagine you are you are just one month to your start of production, and then right. the, your designer is calling you and say, "Oh well, we have a tiny, tiny change in the outer contour of the final product. It's not a big deal, but could you please update the fixtures accordingly?" And then yeah. you say, "Oh, so I have now six weeks to react, and these six six weeks will be already covered by the reaction time of my supplier externally." How should I do that? And then, do you want to be the the guy postponing a start of production because a fixture is needed? No, you really don't no. want to do <laughs> do that. And so, so, but I love, yeah, and I I love that. But we always say things like, "Oh, it's easier ultimately," or you make the investment. But now it's literally like, I have no infrastructure, nothing. I go to a web page, and then boom, the three D printed fixture is cheaper, faster, easier to do. So that that to me is like like not only in fixtures, but like imagine be able to replicate this in like a hundred different cases. Imagine how fast we could grow the market. Yeah, exactly. And now we are yeah. trying to identify other cases. We started with these fixtures for simply simply assembly and measuring situations and so on. But there are there are more industrial cases. For example, molds or jigs for positioning or quality checks. Um, there, there are other tools, um, end of arm tooling, for instance. So all those applications 
they are maybe not the most sexy applications with a lot of, I don't know, bionic structures and so on. Um, <laughs> but they they do make a strong impact if they are used properly. And I hope that we can add more and more of those applications to some kind of a digital toolbox. And um, my vision would be that you as a industrial company starting with additive manufacturing, today you buy a printer and then you maybe lose half a year before you even found the right applications to make something meaningful. Tomorrow, I hope that you not only buy a printer, but you also get this digital toolbox and you can be successful with applying 3D printing in your production environment right away, like the, the next day, basically. That would be the perfect scenario. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that would be really wonderful. And, and think about it like, as in, if we compare it to other things, it's like, you know, typesetting, and then all of a sudden you're publishing uh, using, you know, Word Perfect. Like a digital you know, printer. Right? <laughs> uh, exactly. So, so from a publishing perspective, and I love, I say this a lot, and I'm sorry to repeat myself, but, uh, you know, everyone could publish on the internet with, uh, they just had to learn HTML and nobody did it, right? And only the experts. Everybody could publish using like WordPress, but only like 10 million people did this. But everyone can publish, like when billions of people started publishing, that was on Twitter and Facebook and stuff when it became as easy as typing. So I think there, there's really a lot of uh, uh, potential there for us to do something similar. But it has to be like kind of typing easy, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, th and this is why I think um, in the beginning you said you, you waited for someone to solve the CAD puzzle for you. Um, in, in our case, uh, we approached it from a slightly different angle. We, our goal was not to develop a very simple CAD um, that can still do everything. Our applications, they are not meant to be able to design everything with, with one tool. It's all, always dedicated so, to a certain application. And for this limited or um, restricted room of that application, there we want to enable everyone to make it easily um, and without the, the risk to do something wrong. So there in this safe space of one application, we can guarantee that it's so easy. And how does it actually work? What's actually happening on the, under the hood, technically? What's actually happening? How does what your... can you share? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can share a lot, I think, um, about that. We, the, the, the system that works in the background, it's called Paramate. Uh, it's a modular system uh, consisting of a couple of different workers. And, and these workers would be, for example, an own, um, own developed um cad kernel so we have chosen to develop an own one because the kernels we found in the industry they were never made for design automation it was never the intention to do that um, they were not made for cloud usage um, so we decided okay we need to set up an own one um, so that would be a kernel. We have several workers for visualization. So our own C um, CAD renderings, also some market uh, rendering systems, WebGL we use, OpenGL we use, for instance. Those are all set up in worker working modules. 
and the whole infrastructure is set up to run in the cloud. So we we don't even want to touch the traditional uh, on-premises setup. Sometimes we have to create workarounds to being able to run applications on-premises, but the overall structure of our system is in the cloud. Um, and then for each project that we develop, let it be the standard tool, the fixture tool that we have developed in the, in the past months or any customer application, we always pick the right module for this specific use case. And then it's basically two open, open um, tasks for us. On the one hand, we have to use this own CAD kernel and script a protocol for this particular template. So it's uh, basically a CAD work, but in scripting and code. And we have to set up a user interface. So we have an own JavaScript library, for example, where we set up um, a front end, which would be then displayed in the web and be the, the, the front end for the end user configurating. And the end result is then published either on the website of our client or uh, it can be also an internal application for the own, um, own employees. But the front is always in the web. It's communicating with our cloud solution in the back. I hope this, it, it, it's easier to explain when you see the architecture, but right. I, hope, sure. I, I hope you got uh, <laughs> roughly what I have in mind here. I'm curious for a moment on a logistical standpoint. So you, well, I guess you don't really need a, I was going to say you need a, a good internet connection at the factory, but you don't because you just, you're going to make the jig and then bring it to the factory, so to speak, or you're printing it on site. I'm just wondering more about more remote locations, so to speak, with, with poorer internet connection or restrictions on internet connection? Uh, well, yeah, so um, <laughs> internet, the internet connection is important um, for the user experience. Uh, it is not so much important for the calculation, the heavy load of the calculations, right. because they are happening on the server. This is the advantage. Basically, you can create even a very, very complicated 3D model with a lot of details, you can do that by using your smartphone. It's not a problem. Um, so for, for the calculation of the 3D model, it's completely uh, On site. Ir irrelevant which right. end device you use. But if you, for example, want to see your preview and you want to have a good user experience, you know, you, you drag a slider, change a parameter, and you want to have immediate feedback, uh, what this made to your product. Yeah, let's envision for a moment an uh, end consumer product. You want to uh, do a tweak to your piece of jewelry or your eyewear piece that you have in front of you. You don't want to wait uh, the browser to right. reload uh, 30 <laughs> seconds. This is really not what you want to have. So there the internet connection is crucial. For the calculation of the model, it's completely irrelevant. And then, so the key thing to me is like, how difficult is it for you to set up a new client project? You know, does that take months? Does it take? Because the thing is, if you could do this very quickly, you can kind of have like a, at one point, maybe develop a kind of a drop in CAD system that'll kind of automate everything, like parameter everything, you know? 
Mm -hmm. So uh, it depends really. So I don't have an easy answer for you. Uh, we have projects which we um, realize in a day. <laughs> and we also have pro uh, projects that we realize over 12 uh, months. So it really depends on the complexity. Um, I would say that typically we realize projects in two months time. Um, we we come we've come uh, quite a long way here yeah the the earliest projects that we realized that took <laughs> at least it felt like forever uh when we did that with the first clients back in the years um today when we have a new project which is in an environment or in an industry which we are familiar with we can be quite sure that we have so many automated functions already that the setup is really simple. So uh, then it's more a question of, of weeks than months to set up a new automation process. And what do you, how do you see the future evolving? You say the, the, the latter or this actually kind of like making uh, 3D printing accessible to the non-expert seems to be like your, uh, the, 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 the area you see you perceive the most growth. So how do you see the, the future of like your roadmap? Or how do you see the future of the things you're going to try to develop? Today, we are focusing on some industries which are really, which are already quite established or ha have established additive manufacturing already uh, in their core. So um, jigs and fixtures is one thing. Um, medical applications would be another important uh, industry for us. Um, and we are so successful because the applications are mature already. So they need um, design automation to be um, meaningful business applications and scalable business applications. Um, in the future, I hope that with the, um, with the progress in the production technology and the material availability, uh, we are entering more and more application also in other, um, other industries. Um, latest at least um, um, probably we will see the consumer industry and then we are talking about really big numbers and potential for customization right um, so it will take some time until the am technology finds its way in all these industries but the more the technology spreads the more we will encounter applications and business cases that ask for design automation and then we will be prepared. That's a that's a really solid path forward. But I think I think, you know, to me the thing is like, how quickly can you adopt new customers? That that seems to be a huge break. If you mm -hmm. can just do it one every couple of weeks and you keep having to hire more people to do that, that just like really like would limit you in the number of projects you can do, the number the revenue you can get, and then the growth you can get, right? Ah, how yeah, do you okay. Scale? Yeah, how do you yeah. Scale? <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I get it. Sorry, I, I missed this point in the in the first place. Okay, um, you're you're completely right. Uh, you sound like one of our investors. Uh, to to be honest, uh, and, hang out uh, with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, a true true or a meaningful question. Actually, um, we we see the same problem for us. We had to scale in the past with the projects we could deliver. Um, now, with the standard applications that we move forward with right now, we see the first solution to this. So with the fixture tool and also the upcoming industrial applications that we plan to, um, 
to publish as standalone applications, we have the first solution because there we can give licenses to many customers out there. They all have the same problem. Um, and basically, there are no limits regarding uh, regions in the world. We can scale worldwide and we can scale across all productive industries. That will be a lot already. Yeah? So already focusing on jigs and fixtures, that can be quite a, a task for us. And there is quite a potential for licenses. But even beyond that, in the future, we want to enable other people to work with our Paramate software. So a part of our team is ignoring all the project-related work we do. They don't care about um, client projects. They only care about making Paramate accessible for, um, for interested users. So coders, creative agencies, engineering agencies, and so on. And we want to enable those guys to make use of Paramate to set up configurators and design applications on their own. Um, it is already available. We do quite often, we, we organize some hackathons, for example, with uh, students from different universities. And we let them play around over a weekend or so with the, with the Paramate software. And it's amazing what comes out out of two days with some uh, ambitious students um, that have a little bit of coding experience. It's crazy. What they realize in terms of custom products and custom goods is really fascinating. So this, we hope, um, will be another path for us that we, at the end of the day, only provide the under, underlying backend system and um, go away from our project work that we, we have done in the past. Yeah, that sounds really, really, very exciting. Because then you can, uh, you could like build one core and just like, you could have hundreds of people, effectively either selling licenses or selling products on top of a license, which I think would be uh, super exciting for you guys and also everyone else. I think in the rest of the industry. And and do you see, um, you know, do you see like because I like the fact that you guys are like doing this industrial stuff, but you also mentioned medical. So what kind of stuff do you see in, in medical, for example? So the strongest field for us is the orthopedic world. So we're talking about prosthetics, orthosis, for example. And um, here, the, the fact that every medical device has to be patient-specific is, is the crucial aspect here. By definition, they need customization in every product that they offer to, to their patients at the end of the day. So... Um, the question is not do they need customization. The question is how do they realize this with additive manufacturing. And um, a couple of years we started diving into this field, uh, and back then it was yeah trying out additive manufacturing every now and then. Some very in uh, innovative companies would do the first tests and so on. And then I, I always, I almost lost my my trust in this industry. To be honest, it took so long. Um, but now we are, I think, we're really on the verge into a, a new, um, yeah, into a new time. I have been at the OT World, uh, which is the most important industry fair uh, last summer. I think it was uh, in Leipzig. There was literally no company um, exhibiting there that had no 3D printed part, uh, no 3D printed um, product at their booth. Mm -hmm. So it was really an eye opener for me 
it took quite a time, but now it's really uh, it has arrived as a standard technology for making um, orthopedic products. And there we have this problem uh, that we that we discussed earlier. In uh, by definition, um, you have an orthopedic technician, and this person is responsible for the product design. Um, this person always had been responsible for the product design, but it was a handcrafting job, basically. Now, 3D printing acts a little bit like digital handcrafting, and they're using similar tools. Uh, they already used scanners before, so they are quite equipped in this sense. And now, from a scan, they want to create a patient-specific orth orthopedic product. So it's all about adapting a template or a geometry to a scan. So it's about morphing, it's about projecting, um, and then setting the, the joints specifically or setting some ventilation holes or patterns or something like this. But all of those adaptations, uh, Autopedition has to do, the OT has to do. And um, this person is not a CAD expert. So um, in the past years, only those companies were active in this field who could bring an autopedician plus a designer on the same table. Only then it could work out. But with, with our software or some others in the market, which are prepared to make this process intuitively, then we reach a level where the autopedition can do this job, this adaptations um, with a patient on a simple device, on a tablet or something like this, during the, the, the date with the patient in their workshop and create the digital tool then. I, I, I'm pretty sure that in the, in the next couple of years, one or two years, you will see a similar transaction or um, transition that we have seen in the in the dental world uh, world before. Yeah, I'm ex extremely excited by that. I have a another podcast, uh, which is <laughs> ortho plug plug, which is literally <laughs> only about orthopedics and 3D printing. So this is like something we discuss all the time uh, there about this whole digitization of that field. And I think it's it's uh, I completely agree with you. I think it could be absolutely huge if someone gets it right. You guys get it right, and the pricing is attractive. The market is absolutely astoundingly big as well and you'd save these guys a lot of time because now they spend a lot of time just you know going from a scanning software cleaning up the file going to mesh mixer going to all these other tools and yeah it's just uh it could be a lot more efficient for the, for the individual practitioner yeah um, um, what you just said is very important i think um they have the tools already but right now if <laughs> if you go through this process you probably use five or six software tools after each other uh, you have to combine them. Um, you have to be really an enthusiast to do this. Yeah, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy that they were stubborn enough to do it. Um, but it's really nothing you want to scale. Um, there, there is probably a even more limited user group for such a workflow um, than we had discussed it earlier with the CAD experts. And and also remember these orthopedics companies are all really small, so it's like or not all of them, but a lot of them are just like one or two people. So this thing about this the skill set is an issue. It's like it's like literally we talk to people where the 
orthopedics guys like saying, well, do I take the time these months to do the training? And is that, and then it's their kind of opportunity cost to that person that can't be making stuff then they have to do the CAD and does it make sense for them? So it's a real limiting factor because the businesses are relatively small as well. But, um, and, and then, so besides orthopedics and medical, so are there other kind of areas you're working on? Cause to me, it's just the areas that we haven't focused on, uh, the, the, the new industries like, I don't know, marine or rail, this kind of stuff that, that, that would be the most exciting, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, we are, we are f f looking at those, but always from, um, right now, at least always from a production or assembly point of view. So it doesn't really matter if we're talking about automotive or aerospace or railway. They're all using additive, but most often they're doing it in their production environment or their maintenance environment. Um, and there, there we already um, established when it comes to jigs, tooling, fixtures, and so on. And as soon as we see scalable um applications for 3d printing then it's also a very interesting field for us you, you probably remember the time where all the automotive companies dived into custom interior parts for example that would be uh, a very interesting or it was a very interesting use case um, for us right now it's a little bit more silent around these cases but i'm, I'm pretty sure that this will come come back after a while or in the railway industry, for example, Deutsche Bahn, for instance, from a German perspective, is a huge client for 3D printing. Um, the, it's very impressive how many parts they produce additively, mainly spare parts, but also some uh, serial production parts. For example, um, one of the biggest print jobs and one of the uh, most impressive automation use cases we have seen so far was the railway signs for bra braille signs mm, for, for train stations great. in germany i'm, I'm not sure if yeah. you're familiar with this well, use we, case. We, we actually we spoke to um someone from stephanie Bush yes ah, stephanie. <laughs> and she reviewed some of the stuff with us which we were very impressed with just how much they were using it for you know out of out of date parts that you're not going to make anymore because you only need 20 a year yeah, um, but you need them to be exactly the same as the 1976. Yeah, exactly. And and this there there is a there is a regulation in Germany that all all train stations need to have braille or braille, access braille or, signs or to blind. for for blind people to navigate in the rail um, rail stations, right? So this is a part which is by definition always different from train station to train station. You will never find a sign with, with the same content. It's not just saying mm. exit. It's saying exit to main station 35 meters to your left or something like this. Right. So it, it's always different content. Oh my God, I had not realized this, but of course. Okay, okay, no. Okay. Yeah, because you have to I tell know them about where this, to but go. I didn't know how. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's not... that's why we talked about, that's why I mentioned rail, right? But I was like, oh, no, but, but you weren't know they were about... that unique. Yeah, they have to be that unique. Yeah, so. Okay, this... right, go on, go on, go on. Yeah, so this <laughs> is the reason why you need to have individual signs. This is why you print them. Yeah, it's not about thousand exit signs it's about thousand different Two exit signs yeah exactly <laughs> and um, 
Yeah, so this is one of the biggest single uh, printing jobs so far um, done in, in Germany, I believe. They were printed in aluminum and we're talking about thousands of signs. And do you really want to be the engineer putting in Braille font all the content on those metal sheets? I don't think so. <laughs> so um, what we did, we developed... Um, a translation from written German to Braille and then automatically added those Braille signs on the geometry. But there was not something, nobody had to type it in. It, right. it was No one had to learn Braille. Yeah, nobody had to learn Braille and also nobody had to literally sit down and write, hey, uh, Weserstraße, 250 meters to your left. Um, <laughs> so it was just database as an input and then it would go through our process and out would come a batch of 150 new braille signs which were printed then by a supplier so there was no human interaction anymore for this process this is the perfect scenario for design automation nobody is actually worried now or or um sad that he lost this task of designing those uh, <laughs> signs. Um, no, I really wanted to do that though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All day for like six months. <laughs> <Yeah>. um. <laughs> exactly. So so this, this, these applications, uh, I think these will be the application we will see more and more. And every time I see something like this, it amazes me. Um, because, yeah, you, you don't think about it immediately, but after you learn the case, you realize, oh, yeah, there's simply no other production technology that could have enabled this. And, um, yeah, in the beginning, it might yeah. be these niche topics, but we will see more and more and more, and they always need, will need design automation at the, at the back. Now you have me thinking about what it would take to like, do the New York uh, subway system. Let me let me know after you finalize the first 100 signs, yeah, then you come exactly. back to me. All right. Hey, Ola, thank you so much for today. This is wonderful. This is really, really great. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Max, thank you as well for being here, as always. Always. Always happy to be here, Joyce. Thanks for hosting. And thank you very much for listening. Uh, this is the 3D Pod, and uh, have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.